0: This evening, I have the pleasure to introduce Brother Steve Cummings, who will be speaking with us. Steve is from the Tusculum Church of Christ. And Steve has been presenting a calling and caring seminar now for about 11 years. Um, in this seminar, he teaches uh, listening skills and communication skills. Um, he teaches how to um, listen very well and, and to hear the things that aren't always said. So I would encourage each and every one of you that have the opportunity Uh, Please join us this Friday night and Saturday as uh, we will be trying to take those lessons and applying them to our year-long work here at the church, which is to reach out to the community. Um, We have these goals, and and even having stateside here at home this year, I know we're going to be knocking on a lot of doors and meeting a lot of people, and probably a lot of people that maybe have passed through these doors at one time, and uh, with these communication skills that we could learn, uh, we might have a better opportunity to be good servants and serve our Lord. So there will be a table out uh, as soon as you go out the doors this evening with a sign-up sheet. So I would encourage everyone that can, uh, please come and join us Friday night.
1: All right, good evening to you. Good to see everybody here this evening. Thank you, Mike, for those kind words. It's good to be here again. It's been four or five years since I was here last and uh, taught the full 40-hour workshop, the Calling and Caring workshop. And I look around and I see many of you who are there. And I've talked to several of you tonight. And um, if you would just tell everybody in the congregation what experience you had in the full 40-hour workshop. Maybe encourage as many people as possible to come and attend and learn some good things and fellowship with one another. And I look forward to being with you this coming Friday night at 630 That'll be the first session from 6 30 to 9 30. And then the next morning from about 9 to 12, something like that. I'm not exactly sure the schedule on Saturday. It's not in front of me, but I know it's two, three hour sessions, like 9 to 12 and then 1 to 4, something like that. So if you could come out, it'd be great. Well, this past August, <clears throat> it was announced that Pluto is no longer a planet the International Astronomical Union formed the conclusion that Pluto should be taken off of the list of planets in our solar system. They reduced it down to what they call a dwarf planet. Now, when I was in school, there were nine planets. I remember doing those science projects, and one of them was to uh, do the solar system. And we always had Pluto. I always liked Pluto. It was so far away and it's small and all that kind of stuff. We talked about all the planets. We made songs. But 70 million science books had to be thrown away because Pluto was no longer a planet. Because the International Astronomical Union says it's no longer a planet. What's very interesting to me is why they formed the conclusion that it no longer qualifies to be a planet. They said it this way. Pluto does not qualify to be a planet because it does not have enough gravitational pull to dominate its neighborhood. Think about that. It no longer has enough gravitational pull to pull all those things in its neighborhood to it like other planets do. It made me think about The church today. It made me think about individual congregations and is there a gravitational pull where your community, you are attracting your community. Now, listen, I know I'm talking to a congregation that has done amazingly well over the past several years in influencing its neighborhood. You don't want to dominate your neighborhood. That's not some bad word there, but you want to be able to influence your your, your surroundings, your neighborhood, so that people are attracted to Jesus Christ because they see him living in you. At Tusculum, you know, we just basically say we will not measure our success as a congregation by how many people we can get to get up and come to the church building and sit on a pew. Now that, that tells you something. You guys, you ladies have done a pretty good job at getting a lot of people here we decided that we're going to measure our success as a congregation by how many people we are helping to be transformed more and more every day into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Listen to a few of these statistics. I like to study trends in society. I like to study people like George Barna and Tom Rainier and some of those folks who have done massive research projects in the religious world and studies have shown that eight out of ten of the 350,000 plus churches in america are either in decline or they have plateaued i don't really think churches plateau i think you're either growing or you're not growing you don't just get to some static state Eight out of ten, a research project they did and then published it in a book called Breakout Churches where they studied 53,000 congregations across the religious board. They were amazed to discover how few churches out there are actually having a gravitational pull on their neighborhoods. That so many churches are just drawing their breath and drawing their salary, the members, they come and sit still while the preacher instills. You know, we sing these songs, and I appreciate David singing all the, leading all those songs as we sang song after song after song of this rich, godly material. I'm led to ask the question, I wonder how many of us love to sing about reaching the lost and pray about reaching the lost and preach about reaching the lost. I wonder how many of us are really concerned to go to the lost you've heard hundreds of sermons on this topic hundreds of sermons you don't really need to hear another one from me i know there's nothing new that under the sun that i could really say to you but it's just to reinforce again the most important thing we do that is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And the second part of that Great Commission is very important. In fact, I wrote a book on, that I called the, the Great Commission Part 2. It all has to do with teaching them to observe all things I have Commanded you. That's very important. Well, we've got to go teach them the first principles and that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world first. Eight out of ten churches in decline. If you were born, or the people in this world, in the United States that is, who were born from 1982 to the present time, only 4% of those people are in churches. 27 year olds and under, George Barner, the most trusted church statistician probably in the country says 4% of those 27 years old and under are in churches today. Now, there may be a little larger number that visits from time to time, but 4% are involved in any significant way at all in churches in America today. The church has lost 7% of its teenagers over the past three years based on studies our own brethren have done. Of those people living in apartments, and you have folks here who are living in apartments, and you know of numerous apartment complexes out here around the Mount Juliet area, there's been this boom in Mount Juliet of growth and building houses and businesses and and apartment complexes and all kinds of things, schools and that kind of stuff. Of those people who live in apartments, Studies show across the nation that only 1% of people who live in apartments are involved in church life. It's a mission field. When you see an apartment complex, it is a mission field. There are some very interesting studies done as to why that is the case. I don't have the time to to go into that tonight. And churches are no longer honored in their communities like they used to be. It used to be that communities, you had this general religious mindset, or people, especially in the Bible Belt, they had been to church at some point in their life and they had a general knowledge of the Bible and, and had a general idea about decency and right and wrong based on God's Word. But no longer are churches honored and respected in their communities. And the attractional model that says, Let's get some really good preacher and let's bring him in here. Let's grow a church around him. That's no longer working. 5% of people who come to Christ today say to you, the reason I came to Christ was because of a dynamic preacher. Now, David, I wish that statistic was higher, but it's just not. 75 to 90% of the people Who come to Christ say they came to Christ as the direct result of a friend or a family member introducing Christ to them. Now I want to talk about the harvest the law of the harvest, the Lord of the harvest, the love of the harvest, and the loss of the harvest. The one thing that interested Jesus more than anything else was the harvest. Jesus viewed people as a harvest that must be gathered. It must be gathered. And we as the church, we are the harvesters. First, the law of the harvest. In Psalm 126 and verses 5 and 6, listen to the law of the harvest. It outlines the harvest principle very well. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth. In you know, Mark 16, 15, we say, uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Really, that's a parenthetical phrase there, Mark 16, 15. And if you interpret it or if you translate it exactly from the Greek, the best rendering is as you are going into all the world. It's not like, okay, let's start right here. Get ready, get set, Go. It's as you get up, and as you're going about your life, preach the gospel to every creature. By the words that you say, by the deeds that you do. And the, the law of the harvest says, go continually weeping, bearing seed for sowing. And if you do that, he says, you shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. In the Bible days, the farmer would go out and would cut the grain and would tie the grain up And lay the grain uh, uh, stalks on the the path. And then the workers would come by on the path and take the the, the stalks and would take take that grain to the threshing floor. And nowadays we are going out into the world, into the harvest fields. And we are preaching the gospel to the lost. And we're tying them up gently in the velvet laces of God's grace. We're laying them at the foot of the cross. And the Lord comes through and takes them to his threshing floor in heaven to start the transformation process. But you've got to have those folks who are willing to go out into the grain fields where the fields are truly ready for harvest. They're ripe. And the farmer here is, he's not only described as working, but as weeping. When was the last time you literally wept? Wept over a lost soul listen folks I'm 45 years old most people think I'm 65 but I'm 45 years old in fact I went to Publix the other day and and I was went to the checkout counter and and had my little debit card and and I would swipe my debit card and the woman said do you want your discount I said my discount what do you mean I looked there it said 60 years and old and older gets a five percent discount I'm 45 years old I said yes I do I have four children. That's why what hair I have is gray and and then the rest of it's just turning loose. It's either turning gray or turning loose. But I have six brothers and sisters who do not know Christ. They're from sixty years old down to fifty two years old. I'm the baby of the family. I brought my mom and dad to Christ when they were sixty years old, back in nineteen eighty nine. Mother died four years later, and daddy died in 2001. Mother died of cancer, daddy died of a heart attack in my sister's arms. And I don't know about you, maybe you grew up in the church, and it's just always been like falling off a log for you. You've always been brought to church. You never kind of remember coming to church as a kid. You were brought to church. You were so small. And from the time you were a little boy or a little girl, you went to those Bible classes. Before you could read and write, the teacher would say, Path the Bible. This is God's word, pat the Bible. And I don't know if you have wept for a lost person lately, but the law of the harvest says to go forth continually weeping, bearing seed for sowing. If you do that, you'll doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with you. I pray for my family. I'm the only member of my family who's a member of the Church of Christ. In fact, I'm the only member of my family that's a member of pretty much any church. And I pray every day as an intercessor that I can reach my family. I have a wonderful relationship with all of my brothers and sisters, but they're just not interested in this religion thing like so many in the world today. But you know what? My sister, Camelia, who's fifty-eight years old, for the longest time was an atheist. Her husband died three years ago. She asked me to come and preach the funeral. I did. I got to meet her, or her, her uh, husband's family. One of those brothers of his. Approached me and said, I want you to know that I'm the odd one in the family. I said, why is that? He said, well, I'm a homosexual. He said, I would like to talk to you sometimes. And so we started the conversation. It's going real well. But my sister, Camelia, she found a wonderful thing called the Internet. And at Tusculum we have what's called a podcast. Not sure if you have that here, but all, all of my sermons are recorded and put on the Internet You can just go in there and click it and listen. My sister found out she could do that. She had never heard me preach. And I've been preaching for 20 years. She had never heard me preach. My niece told her, you ought to listen to your brother preach. She did. She listened to every sermon on the podcast. And she called me crying. And she said, I've been listening to you preach what you call the word of God and she said it's changing me every time I listen. That's the word of God. It's the drawing power. It's the word of God. It's not some fancy little slogan we're going to put on the building out there. Slogans are fine and mission statements are fine all that kind of thing but it's breaking the bread of life to a hungry soul. You pray for my family I'll pray for yours. The law of the harvest says to go forth weeping and then the lord and the love of the harvest john four thirty five. jesus said do you not say four months more and then the harvest behold i say to you lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest you've heard that numerous times that verse there was an insurance company and the sales had gone down and so the regional manager comes in. He has 35 agents in this region. And he calls them all together and says, you know, sales have gone down drastically. And we're not really un- we don't really understand why. He said, I want to find out why. And so there was a, an easel on the stage. And he had a, a big white notebook, a huge notebook. In fact, it wasn't a notebook. It was just a big white sheet of paper on the easel, a notepad. He said, um, I want you, each one of you to come up. There's something on the other side of this notepad and I want you to come up one at a time. He gave them all index cards and whatever you see on that notepad, I want you to write it down. Everything you see. And so one by one, they came up and all that was on the notepad was a a little black dot about the size of a dime. Every agent, all 35 agents came up And looked at that side of the page. Wrote down what they saw. Gave their card to the regional manager. Sat down. Then he went through all of them one at a time. He said, I have discovered what our problem is. All 35 of you wrote down the same thing. All 35 of you wrote down, I see a black dot. All 35 of you. Not one of you said you saw all the white space around the dot. Lift up your eyes. (laughs) Get them off of money. Get them off of material things. We get so laser focused on what this world has to offer that it's just gonna burn when the Lord comes back. And we fail to see all the good stuff all around us. You see, that's been Satan's ploy from the From the dawn of man, God said to Adam and Eve, this one tree in the middle of the garden, the fruit on that tree, don't eat that fruit. And Satan comes along one day and says, boy, well, that fruit looks good on that tree. And Eve says, oh, we can't eat fruit on that tree. He focused her on that one piece of fruit, that forbidden fruit she couldn't have. And that's what Satan wants to do to us today. We look at all the things going on in the world with that demand our time, the temporary things of life, and we fail to see the eternal things of life. Matthew 9, 38, he calls himself the Lord of the harvest, Jesus does. He said in Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then in John 20 and verse 21, he says, just as my Father has sent me, I send you also. Now, how did Jesus see people? How did Jesus serve people? In Matthew chapter nine, verses 35 through 38, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It says that Jesus went about all the cities and all the villages. He was teaching and he was preaching and he was healing people. The savior of the world had become the servant of the world. He was literally pouring himself out in ministry. Now, Josephus, an early historian around the first century, he says that around the region of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus did most of his ministry when he was on earth, there were approximately 15 or about 2 million people, 2 to 3 million people. And there were just numerous villages and towns and cities cities all around there. And Jesus went from city to city teaching and preaching and healing the people's infirmities. It says he looked out at the multitudes, and he was moved with compassion. I believe the missing jewel in the crown of New Testament today, or New Testament Christianity today, is compassion. Jesus told the demoniac in Mark 5:19, "Go home to your friends. This is the first place I go with evangelism." People say, "What's the best evangelism verse?" Mark 5, 19. Go home to your friends, Jesus told the healed demoniac. Go home to your friends. and Tell them what the Lord has done for you. How he has had compassion on you. Jesus went. It says, he looked out at the multitudes, two to three million people, and he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Now the word weary, if you do a, a study, of course it was written originally in the Greek. If you do a word study of weary, it means to fillet or to skin. Any fishermen in here, after you catch a fish, you fillet it and skin it? Went deep sea fishing a couple of years ago. And the, the, uh, the boat, um, uh, the deckhand, he said, How fast do you think I can catch a fish and put it on the grill? I had a grill on the boat. He caught a red snapper, pulled it up, had it skinned, had it filleted and on the grill in a minute and two seconds. I thought, boy, that looks pretty violent. And Jesus said they were weary. He saw weary people, filleted and skinned. And I submit to you, they're still out there everywhere. They were weary and scattered. The word scattered means to fall prostrate on the ground, unable to get up. They made a commercial about that not too long ago. I've fallen and I can't get up. Scattered. Weary and scattered. But Jesus went to them. He never said, oh, build a bunch of church buildings out here. It's fine to build church buildings. We built one two years ago, paid seven and a half million dollars for it. and May God bless us if we don't use it to his glory. But Jesus always told the church to go into the world. He never commanded lost people to come to a church building, not, not one time. In fact, he never even commanded church people to go to church buildings. That's okay that we do it. It's just the thing that we do to qualify our service to him or quantify our service to him. And one of the things we do, but it's not the whole ball of wax. Do you know in the state of Connecticut, there is a law that's still on the books in the state of Connecticut that says, if you construct a church building, this law is years old. If you construct a church building, you must construct it so that all of the outer doors must open to the outside. And the reason for that is they said, we want churches. You're going to have this tax-exempt status, and you are the people who are trying to make a difference in the world. And this is just our way of reminding you of what your real purpose is. If you're going to be tax-exempt and get all this government favoritism We want you, every time you open your doors, they open outside to remind you that's where the action is. Not inside the church buildings. Well, there's action inside the buildings. There's action inside our homes when we come together. There's action when we get together at Starbucks and talk about God and study God's word. There's action when we sit under a shade tree in the park and talk God's word and we evangelize people under the shade tree But the real action is to go into all the world and to lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 3,000 years later, we're like Isaiah said, Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. And when Jesus saw these hurting, hopeless, helpless People, he was moved with compassion. We say, oh, we want to be like Christ. Do we really? Let's just be honest. Do we really? Or is that just something we want to sing about and preach about and pray about? Do we really want to reach the lost? Really? Do we really? If you want to be like Christ, there is no better way to be like Christ that I know of than to go and be Christ to everybody you come in contact with. And there are a lot of helpless, hurting people out there. And Jesus sought ministers for the people. Then he said, verses 37 and 38, to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The problem has never been the size of the harvest. Never. Never been the size of the harvest. It's always been that the laborers are few. He said, so pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I have to believe that, I think I saw nine elders listed on the bulletin. I have to believe that these nine elders get together at least every now and then and do nothing but pray for laborers to go into the harvest field. Jesus said, you specifically pray about this. Instead of coming up with every program known to man, and we try to strategize—that's all good—but nothing takes the place of prayer. Nothing. I just did a lesson series on prayer in our congregation, and the last sermon was last weekend on intercessory prayer. That's when you pray for other people. We've been praying for a lot of folks in our congregation this 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 morning. We had two young men to come forward. You talk about prodigal sons, had drifted way off into the far country and were eating what was only intended for the pigs. And in that prayer series, that mama and that daddy came to me and said, Would you just pray for our son? No matter what it takes to bring him back, well, He was, you may have read about him in the paper. He was caught breaking into houses. They found in his car drugs and alcohol, even machine guns. He and some of his cohorts were all arrested. He's out on bail. And this morning, that young man of 20 years old walked that aisle. And when he did, another young man got up and walked that aisle. Then the boy's brother walked that aisle. 35 people came down there And it was pretty moving. And I'm convinced it's because the church concentrated, focused, laser beam on prayer. Pray the Lord of the harvest. He doesn't tell us to pray for the lost. He tells us to pray for workers. It's interesting, the Bible doesn't tell us to pray for lost people. It says, go and preach the gospel to the lost people. And it's interesting that he he does he doesn't tell us to pray for the harvest. He he tells us to pray for the harvesters. He doesn't tell us to pray for the sheep. He says to go pray for for the shepherds. But are we willing to go? Only you can answer that. I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip, trying to show you your individual, God given responsibility and your privilege as a Christian, blood bought it's the least you can do. For your family members that you love, oh, I wish I could get old brother, so i get so-and-so, my brother, my brother-in-law, and ah, you know, if I could just, they just won't listen to the word of God. And have you prayed for them and have you gone forth continually weeping? A preacher preached in a setting like this one time, afterwards was invited to the home of a couple he gets to this home of this couple and the lady of the house was blind but she served coffee tea and donuts she said preacher i guess you're wondering why i'm blind he said if you'd like to share that with me i'd like to hear it she said well a couple of years ago my tear ducts dried up and over time because my eyes couldn't get water I went blind. And I just wonder if our tear ducts have dried up. Have we become so much like the world, cynical and sarcastic, that we're no longer transformed from the world, but we're conformed to the world and we're just like it. And that evangelism thing is something for somebody else to take care of. Don't we have somebody hired to do that? Don't we have somebody titled to do that? Someone said recently, it's a cop-out. Well, evangelism is not one of my gifts. Where do you find in the Bible that evangelism is a gift? You use your gifts to evangelize. Evangelism is something that we all are privileged to be a part of. And out of a deep sense of gratitude for what Christ has done for us, we say, here am I, send me. And if we don't have that attitude, I wonder if we don't need to revisit the cross and look into the eyes of the one who bled and died for you and see that blood flowing down his body and all the way to the tips of his toes and that blood is dripping off of his toes and has formed a puddle of blood right next to his clothes at the foot of the cross and those soldiers are, are gambling for his clothes as the blood drips, drips, drips. And you look into his eyes, the one who bled and died for you, and you give an account for your love, and the loss of the harvest Jeremiah 820 the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Maybe the saddest verse in the Bible. I wish I could go into An exegetical study of that whole verse, but I don't have the time to do that. Our time has come to an end. There's a man in India, in the city of Delhi. This man is an entrepreneurial spirit. He decided most people in India have never been on an airplane before. He thought, I can turn this into a good business venture. See, he buys an old 300 Airbus airplane, doesn't run anymore. Has it pulled out into this neat little spot close to the city. He charges people to come and simply sit on that plane and imagine what it would be like to fly. These people have never flown an airplane before. This plane is, doesn't even have an engine in it. But you can go and pay your fee, go in there and sit down, and there will be a, a, a flight stewardess to wait on you. We'll bring you drinks and food. And the captain will come over to the intercom and we are making our final descent and we're flying a circling Delhi, and we will be you know, going into the terminal for long. I wish they'd call it something besides terminal myself. <laughs> and these people listen to the pilot, talk to them. They go through all the experience of flying except flying. That's not what airplanes were designed to do. Airplanes were intended to take people somewhere. And I see too many churches that are like that airplane. And we come into the church building. And the building doesn't fly. And the church has not flown in years. But we listen to the pilot talk and we're waited on by the flight attendants, we get to experience everything except taking off and flying. I submit to you, it's a lot better to fly than to sit on the runway. I challenge you to fly. If you're not a Christian tonight, Christ died for you. That may not mean a whole lot to you. If it doesn't, I just hope that this will be this sermon is, is the, the plow that's kind of getting the soul of your heart ready to receive the seed. David will preach it to you. The elders will teach it to you. Bible class teachers will teach it to you. One-on-one Bible studies. Just keep on, keep on. Get that heart tender. Let the word of God get in there. Maybe you, your heart is tender. The seed has been planted And you're just ready to grow and you're ready to make the decision for Christ tonight by simply confessing your faith in him, repenting of your sins and be baptized to have your sins washed away. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that makes it all right. The religious leaders of Christ's day, they were constantly diagnosing people's problem, but Jesus came and diagnosed a cure. And he said, the only cure is my blood It'll wash the stains of your heart away. God bless you. Let's stand together and sing.